questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Has the holy grail of physics finally been discovered? Tonight, join me on a voyage into the depths of elemental consciousness and fundamental reality that will be personally enriching. You will be pushed to think a few big thoughts and ponder a few big ideas, but the conclusions you eventually come away with will be entirely yours. Tonight's guest doesn't want to convince you of anything or persuade you toward a particular point of view. You will be strongly dissuaded from becoming a believer. Data, facts, and measurable results are the exclusive currency upon which his research trades. Greetings to everyone around the world and a special welcome to all our new Veritas members. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, thanking you for joining the Veritas family. And if you want to listen to tonight's full interview and hundreds of others, all you have to do is join the Veritas family by subscribing at veritasradio.com. Don't delay. Subscribe today. Try Veritas for three months or stay long term and receive a discount. Just click on the subscribe button for more information. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, or have a guest suggestion, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. I always love to hear from you. Tonight's special guest is Thomas Campbell. Tom began researching altered states of consciousness with Robert Monroe at Monroe Laboratories in the early 1970s, where he and a few others were instrumental in getting Monroe's laboratory for the study of consciousness up and running. Campbell has been experimenting with and exploring the subjective and objective mind ever since. For the past 30 years, Campbell has been focused on scientifically exploring the properties, boundaries, and abilities of consciousness. Presently, and for almost 30 years, he has been at the heart of developing U.S. missile defense systems. He is the author of the My Big Toe Trilogy, Awakening, Discovery, and Inner Workings, a trilogy unifying philosophy, physics, and metaphysics. His website is mybigtoe.com, and Thomas Campbell joins us from somewhere in central United States. Hello, Tom, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? I'm fine, Mel. Um, thank you very much for uh, inviting me onto your show. My pleasure. Where exactly are you, by the way? I am in uh, northern Alabama. Northern Alabama. Okay. Well, while reading your trilogy, the thought came to mind, Tom, did you connect your mind to the Akashic Records? And it seems to be a massive download. That's how it feels when you're reading your book. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the good news and bad news, this massive uh, download feeling. Uh, some people have a hard time with that, but the book uh, are fairly intense as far as their information goes. And I, you know, I call the Akashic Records uh, just databases. They are two databases that are required in order for this reality to function the way it does. And I guess we'll get into that, how this reality functions a little later. But they are just necessary part of the logic for this uh, reality to exist as it does. And it's no wonder that ancient people uh, found these databases that they could access with their intent because all you have to do to find them is to explore inner space, that is to explore your consciousness, and you can uh, get the things like Akashic Records or databases uh, or a lot more. Although uh, 
you know, I split, I split these databases into, uh, the probable future database and then the past, the present and then the, uh, past database. But the past database is all the things that could possibly have happened and all the probabilities that they might have happened. As the future probable database is all the things that might happen and that the probability, you know, that they would. So it's, this is a probability based, um, um, model. Now, yes, when I was writing the, the books, I did get some aha moments, which usually occur after you've spent about three or four days pondering, you know, should I go this way or that way? Or how's the best way to answer this? And then while you're thinking about it, the idea just, aha, you know, that's it. And I had plenty of those while I was writing the book. So I count those as downloads. So I guess the answer to your question is yes. I did get a lot of downloads, but mostly I came up with this book just by looking at my experience in the non-physical, which is by the time I wrote these books was like 35 years worth of it. And uh, also my experience in the world of physics and trying to figure out how those two could, you know, be unified into one model of reality. When I think of the Akashic Records, in the past, I would think maybe that's a New Age concept that's very esoteric. But as you said, the ancient ones knew how to tap into it, and I'd like to discuss that later. But first, how did a scientist like you end up in a strange place like this? <laughs> very good question. Well. I took the first step into strangeness while I was in graduate school working on my PhD. And, uh, I saw a, an advertisement for transcendental meditation. And what caught my attention was that you could do more with less sleep, uh, more energy. And graduate students tend to work long hours. At least I did. And that appealed to me. So I took the TM course and found it a very natural fit and Oh, I say about three or four months after I started TM, I realized that I could debug my computer code in my mind in a, in a meditation state just by looking at the, at the printout of the transcript in my mind and having an intention that the lines of code that might, that were in error would turn up red instead of black on white like they were normally. And I could just scroll through that computer code and I'd see a red line flash by and I'd stop and back it up, take a look at it. And since I wrote all the code, you know, I was familiar with every line. So I knew just what line that was and why it was there. And then later I'd go into the lab, pull out my four boxes of punch cards. See, this is back in the bad old days of computing and find that card. And sure enough, that's where the, you know, the, the semicolon was left off the end of the statement or some other kind of error like that. And that just floored me because that showed me that there was another aspect to reality that I just wasn't familiar with and didn't know because I could do this not just once like it was luck or twice, but that became my standard way of debugging my code. And it was so much faster than going through all of these cards line by line and trying to find you know, minuscule errors. Sometimes the error wasn't any more than a fact that the key punch that punched the hole in the card was just a little off. And I'd see that that card had an error in it, but there was no errors in my code. So then I'd go repunch it. And sure enough, it would work. Then the hole was just 
slightly off so the computer didn't read it properly. So that was my first step into weirdness that gave me a sense of reality being bigger and more interesting than I thought. And I'm a, I'm a scientist. I'm a physicist. And what physicists do is try to model reality. We mostly do that with mathematics, but that's the name of our game. You know, what, what is this reality? How does it work? What can you do with it? What are the limitations? So I started to expand my worldview after that happened. And then I got out of graduate school, took a job. And within three or four months, I ended up going out to Whistlefield Farms to meet one Mr. Robert Monroe, who had written the book's Journey Out of Body. And he had just put up a lab for studying consciousness and didn't have any idea really what to do with it. It's one of those, you know, build it and they will come kind of uh, things. And there I was, and a friend of mine who was an electrical engineer was with me and a bunch of other of us from where I worked. And uh, Bob said, well, I'm setting up a lab. Would any of you scientists want to come and work with me uh, on studying consciousness? And, you know, I jumped at the chance, and so did my friend Dennis. And, you know, um, a month later, there we were up at the lab. Uh, oh, you know, we'd be there maybe three, four evenings a week. It became like a half-time job, spending like 20 hours a week with Bob Monroe in the lab trying to uh, understand this thing that had happened to Bob Monroe, which was called the out-of-body experience, an OBE. So that's how I got into it. And when Dennis and I first started working with Bob, both of us had this idea, well, if this turns out to be hocus-pocus or nonsense, you know, we'll be out of there in a second. So we were hard cases. We're both um, we're very difficult to, um, to convince of anything. That's just naturally way that scientists and engineers are. So it was a hard, uh, we were hard cases for Bob, but within a year or so, he had us, uh, he had taught us how to go out of body, how to explore the larger consciousness system, uh, on our own pretty much, uh, whenever we wanted to. And you can actually still listen to some of these original uh, explorer tapes is what they would call it. Bob called us explorers because we were exploring the larger consciousness system. He didn't call it that, but it was just exploring uh, non-physical space, if you will. And they're still a, they're still available at TMI, the Monroe Institute, uh, on online. So that was back in 1972. And once you go down this path, you don't stop and you know go backwards or deny it. You can't deny it because it's your own experience. You know, you experienced it. And what we did at the lab was spent most of our time doing things that were evidential because Dennis and I needed to be convinced. So we did uh, remote viewing. We read uh, numbers that Bob would put on the chalkboard after we got into our booths. Uh, we did all sorts of experiments. And the results of those experiments told both of us that without a doubt, you know, it was like, uh, you know, 10 or 20,000 to one that what we had done and seen and reported on could have been chance. So we knew it intellectually that it wasn't chance, that something was really happening, but we had no idea what. So it wasn't until maybe three years into this process that I finally had the experience that got it from my intellectual knowing that this was real to the gut level experience that this was real. But eventually I got there. And then when I did and understood that there was something real here that a physicist needed to understand, then 
you're you're hooked for good. <laughs> so then I spend the next 35 years trying to figure out how does it work? Why does it work that way? Where did it come from? You know, what's the you know, what's the mechanism that makes it work? And eventually I thought I understood enough of those answers to start writing them down and that eventually became the book's my big toe. So that's kind of how a, a, a nice physicist like me ended up in a very strange place like this. It, I was really just following my experience, following the facts that I was uncovering in two reality frames, one that was non-physical to this one and then this one. And this is why the book is such an attractive book to read because, as you said, your day job is designing, developing missiles, you know, how do you create harmony working in that physical world, but then in the evenings you go to this almost like Clark Kent goes into Superman in the evenings, this hidden identity. How do you reconcile both places? Well, that really, that really wasn't so bad. I, In general, in my, my everyday work life, um, you know, I'm just a physicist, you know, doing, doing physics and doing science, and... I have I keep a low profile. I didn't talk a lot about my other work. Uh so the two actually didn't mix much until later when I was at uh, uh doing uh, working as a consultant for NASA and uh two of the people that I was working with, two young uh young guys who had actually it was a young guy and a young girl um who were assigned to, you know, do programming and other work for me there. Um They came by one day and said, are you the Tom Campbell? And I said, well, I don't know. I'm a Tom Campbell. Who do you have in mind? And they said, the one that we heard on Coast to Coast a couple <laughs> of weeks ago. And I go, mm, okay, you found me out. So that was the first time that my work life and my, and, uh, my private life, if you will, actually uh, came together. And that turned out very well. They were very interested and asked me hundreds of questions and uh, – That turned out fine. It was not a problem at all. But I don't have a problem in in uh, working in the – well, of course, I'm retired now. I've been retired for probably eight, ten years. But uh, at that time, I was working uh, first in, in Army Technical Intelligence, and then I took a job with uh, an engineering company that supported what was then called Star Wars or um, – you know. Uh, what was it? Uh, something strategic defense initiative is what it was called. You know, now it's, it's a different, different name, but same organization. Yes, that's the missile defense organization. And what we did was help develop technology to, um, defend this country and allies from nuclear missiles coming in. So it was entirely a defensive uh, job. And the things that we developed, the ideas we came up with, the technology that, that grew up out of this was only suited for defense, not for offense. So the idea of saving a few, uh, you know, what, 100 million uh, lives by uh, destroying a nuclear weapon that was incoming didn't seem like a bad idea or one that was, uh, you know, inappropriate or immoral. So I didn't have any issues on that standing. It was entirely a defensive uh, uh, endeavor that we were working in. And then after I worked for missile defense for 
a decade or so, I, I went to work with NASA and then I became a consultant and worked in a lot of different companies doing a lot of different things. But all of them tended to be fun because I just did the fun stuff. That was, <laughs> that was, uh, you know, kind of what I do. I specialized in, in large system, uh, analysis and mainly what people wanted to know is what were the, uh, risks in these large systems? What could go wrong? And if it did go wrong, you know, how could you best fix it? What was the probability that it might go wrong? So because the systems were so huge and had so many millions of parts and, you know, thousands of vendors, uh, thousands of interfaces, it was so complex that it was really beyond anybody's understanding of how the thing actually worked as far as the details go. Uh, this big picture of the whole system was hard to come by. It was just a bunch of piece parts that met uh, interface specifications, and it all seemed to work. But you see, there would be a little thing that could go wrong here, and maybe it was only a $5 part. And if that went wrong, it affected something else. And if that got affected, that affected something else. And so on, this logic trail would go down through this very complex equipment, and maybe 10 levels later, it would hit something that was very, very important, and the whole thing would blow up and wouldn't work. So those kinds of things just weren't obvious to anybody, and my specialty was trying to find those things out and and uh, characterize them as far as how serious, what do you do about it, and what's the probability that it happened. I remember the movie Armageddon when they say about the space shuttle, this thing is composed of millions of parts produced by the lowest bidder. So it makes your job even more interesting, I guess. Absolutely. You had to know all of those parts, and they all had to be part of a big computer model. And uh, they all had to uh, have their, their uh, you know, how long they would last and what made them fail and why would they fail. And if they did, how would they fail and what was dependent on them downstream. So all of that information for this huge system had to be done. And it was a very daunting system. And since I was known in the community to be able to do that, then that's why I became a consultant and just kind of went from place to place doing that sort of thing. Just a quick parenthesis. Just before I started reading your book, Tom, I was thinking of how most people's attention span has has been shortened. And I mentioned this all the time here. Then as I'm reading your mm -hmm. preface, you say, quote, most of us are eager to zip past the preliminaries and immediately sink our teeth into... By the way, got to have your permission to read these little excerpts every so often. Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. So, sit past the preliminaries and immediately sink our teeth into the meat of the main text. Anticipation and expectation push us to get on with the real thing. We, of Western culture, are an impatient, goal-oriented people driven toward endpoints. In a rush to the finish line, we take little notice of the journey that gets us there. Such a misappropriation of emphasis often squanders our opportunities because more often than not, the tastiest and most nourishing part of life lies in experiencing the process, not in attaining the goal, unquote. I had to read this, Tom, because this is happening all around us. It's happening to me, too. Why do you think we rush to the finish line and miss the journey, which, you know, that's the most important part of all? Well, it has to do with our culture, the way we see the world, and of course, technology has helped create, uh, you know, the world that we're in now. Technology has, a, has changed it dramatically. And when your environment changes, the way you think 
changes, the way you uh, uh, bring together concepts that make sense. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.